Hi. Hello. I'm Julian. And I'm the Avoider. We are Team Binge and Record Scratch. What? <laughs> I'm the Avoider to your Seeker. Okay. <laughs> Diving in deep quick. I totally got that reference. We're Team Binge. We are here to talk about episode eight, the finale of a little TV show I like to call 1899. And I like to call it that because that is its title name it was given. I had a question right off the bat. Are they going to rename the series in season two if they get one? Is it be, to 1900? Be no, we got 2099. Man, you are really going deep real quick. So Listen, many I'm just spoilers. An initial question. So many spoilers in the beginning of a podcast that's clearly talking about the finale of a TV show everyone should have watched before listening to us. I don't know. That's a great question. I think from a branding standpoint, it would be a mistake. From a let's shake off all these losers and just keep the loyal few that like the show, I'm all for it. <laughs> because then I can stick it to people when they're like, oh, I tried this uh, 2099 show and I didn't understand what was happening. It was like we were in the middle of a story. And I'll be like, yeah, that's because you weren't there with the rest of us 300 years earlier when it all started. I think it's 200 years earlier. <laughs> doesn't matter. Math doesn't matter. Reality doesn't matter. Tom, whatever the cave paintings say, I want them to say. That's what I can believe. That's what <laughs> the cave analogy was all about. Math's not real. And so we're diving in this quick. Thanks for joining us. For those of you that wrote us during this show with theories and different things, we do appreciate it. Uh, I'm just going to ask you from the top, Tom, because it's important to ask, do you feel like the plane was landed because there was a lot of plane talk about this ship show in the <laughs> beginning when we started watching. But do you think the plane was landed? Yes, I think both the boat ship and the spaceship landed very, very well for me. The The idea that like w watching it again and seeing the ending sequence and it finally shut off and they kind of do that little CG element where everything just fades to black, I was like... Oh boy, where are they going to take this? And they've got a little bit, a couple extra beats, and then the huge twist in space. Like, again, another huge mind blown moment that I was so in for. Loved every minute of it. I think we still, even though we did get some answers here, there probably wasn't a huge amount of like plot movement in this one. But even with that being said, I think it was very well put together and a solid conclusion for a season one hoping they get more seasons for sure but i think it was good enough to stand on its own sure i agree i think they landed it i think they launched it in a show that there aren't how do i say this there are not rules of like reality in this show mm -hmm. but i feel like they stuck to some rules that they created and so the reveal was not a Jacob's Ladder or they're all in a snow globe. It wasn't so out of this world that it was like, oh, really? That's what they did? Like, I didn't have that reaction. I very much, within the spirit of the show, within the rules that have been developed and the lack of rules, I still feel like they pulled it off and, and mm -hmm. got me somewhere. And to be perfectly honest with the way these guys write and who they are, 
I don't even know if that final scene is truth. It's mm. still, and, and that's kind of the fun part of the show is what's a simulation? What's reality? They say they want to do a three season arc, but I mean, they could do an infinite level of season arcs <laughs> if you just yeah. continue to think you're in a simulation, mm-hmm. I, you know? So I very much enjoyed this and it's tough to argue with a show that is so well acted and it looks great and all those things. Mm-hmm. And the writing, I felt, as confusing as it is, made sense. I don't know if that yeah. if that statement well, makes sense. It's like you're supposed <laughs> to be confused, but you're confused in a way that by the end of it, I'm like, okay, I, I got it. And I enjoyed it. Yeah, and I think that's why this and Dark were such great stories. And we'll talk about it, I think, at the very end of this pod. But we both watched the making of 1899, which Netflix kind of released as like a separate... I don't think it's an extra episode, right? It's a different actual list on him on netflix but that was super cool and it dives deeper in and you get a better sense for the two writers who are apparently i think husband and wife if i have that right but i think like they're, they're lovers is the okay. term okay i don't i don't um, think there's anything like on paper but they are <laughs> lovers uh but incredible and i think um she I, I forget their names but i think she's the one that is incredibly gifted in kind of the puzzle elements and and likes the, the that type of storytelling, um, and they make such a great pair and just do such a cool job. And it's fun to take a show like this that we had talked about, right? It's a show on the sea. You assume it's very expensive to make and film, but they use some amazing new technologies in in the show that really helps sell a lot of these environments. So we'll get into it a little bit further, but highly, highly encourage our audience um, if you haven't yet, definitely go check out that making of. Yep. I agree. Listen to the ads on this podcast and then go watch (laughs) the making of 1899. All right, so let's kick this off. We're going to go through the episode. And spoilers, guys, this is the finale. So we're probably going to tell you stuff you've already seen because I don't know why you'd start listening to us on the eighth episode of a show you've never watched. But there's a lot of weirdness in the world, as this show proves to us. <laughs> this episode is called what, Tom? The Key. The Key, which, important because it's kind of the key to the whole series. I don't know if you made that connection. <laughs> that connection. <laughs> but we start with a Mara flashback. She mm-hmm. is hanging out with her son, whose name we find out is Elliot, or know is mm-hmm. Elliot, and is hanging out with a beetle named Alfred. These are all very British names, I guess <laughs> we'll go with. Well, and I think this is technically the boy, or this is Elliot's flashback, right? Not necessarily Mara's, because the sequence does end with it, you know, doing the little zoom out and the eye, the triangle eye, uh, iris, I guess, of the boy kind of pops out. But... I like the idea of them giving a little bit more backstory to the Beatle, um, which is apparently Alfred. He's the, the long-lost fifth Beatle. Some people sure. thought it was Pete Best, George Epstein. Nope, it's Alfred, apparently. Right. Uh, but I, I don't know. The, this is, I think, hammered on us really hard here where she Mara tells um, Elliot when the boy's about to put the little Beatle in a case. She's like, oh, no, 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 don't put it in a case. Like, we can't keep it forever. Like, don't trap it in there, which is very on the nose, seemingly, with what's going on with Mara and trying to potentially hold on to the memory of her son. 
So I, I it, it took me a, lot, a little bit out because I thought it was just hitting us too hard and we didn't probably need that kind of symbolism there. But it was still cool to see some sort of tie-in with the Beatle. Sure. I will say on the first watch, I didn't feel like I was being hit on the head. On the second watch, I felt some of these things a little bit stronger. Mm-hmm. But on the first watch, I didn't. And this just reminds me of when my kid catches minnows down by the river <laughs> and she holds them just a little too tightly. And those minnows leave this mortal plane. And when you ask her about them, she's like, well, I hugged it a little too tightly. And you're like, okay. it's a weird little fish. So Your daughter's a very loving person. Yeah. no, She loves things so much. She, she loves the life out of those little animals. That's for sure. He does have a moment where Elliot's like, I'm never going to go anywhere. I'm going to live with you forever. Mm. Ooh, spoilers, Elliot. I got news for you, man. You're not going to make it. <laughs> Maybe. Who knows? We cut from there, and the boy is in Pyramid Land, which mm-hmm. I do really like just this set. The Black Pyramid, the weird, like, desolate. I just enjoy how, like, creepy that scene is. Some and of this the is scenery... Where... Go ahead. I was going to say, some of the scenery is weird and and i don't have any sort of like theories to this but you see this pyramid and i think it confirms in this episode that the inside the pyramid is like daniel's flashback where he's there in the love making library with the stairs going down the bed like that is inside the pyramid They, they make a point of it in this one but later on in this episode when they're i think henry and the boy are looking at the pyramid you can see in the background like the mental hospital so it's almost like they kind of exist on the same plane or universe and then they they switch. I don't know if one is like pre-reset of the environment and one is it completely taken over. I, I don't know really what to make of that, but I'm not reading too far into it because it's all dreamland simulation stuff. That is correct. It is not real. <laughs> it is all a simulation. It is not real. But mm-hmm. this is where we get Elliot's wake up. Mm-hmm. We have... Henry and the boy, and they're talking, and just like I said, it's all a simulation. Mm-hmm. And this is that confirmation. I think we found out last episode that Henry, and obviously later we'll find out he's not the creator, but we didn't know what his role was. We thought he was, but he's apparently stuck in the simulation, as is the boy. So again, these are not some sort of outside forces. They are a part of the same simulation like everybody else. Right, that reveal in episode five or six or wherever it was that you finally meet Henry and you think he's the creator, you assume the world mm-hmm. is. But nope, they're all in it. Mm-hmm. And he has this monologue, as old British actors do, <laughs> where he's talking about everyone took this trip in order to forget their... And I'll do the joke with you just because it's on the outline. I typed, they're on this trip to forget their pasta. <laughs> they're actually on their trip to forget their past, but too Thanks, funny. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> Sometimes I take notes quickly, and I take them via talk to text. And if I'm hungry, most things just become the word pasta. I could have corrected it. No. You could have. You did it. Instead, <laughs> you wanted to write in your funny little joke. So you're welcome at my expense. He makes the point of saying they they all agreed to be 
in this simulation or on this trip in order to forget their past. Mm -hmm. And he talks about, hey, the creator of this is Mara, and she has everyone fooled. And at the same time, he's looking through like the TV screens, and she like whips around and looks in the Mm -hmm. same direction. And I was like, what's going on? Yeah, and we get this little deal about like she's the only one that can set them free, which is also very interesting because right. again, we've speculated like how are they all kind of tied in together within this, but I guess it is again her simulation, her reality, but everybody's, everybody's trapped in it somehow. And Mara seemed to be the most confused. So to find mm-hmm. out that she's the creator and the one that's kind of in charge, you're like, I don't know. She seems to be making some questionable decisions with all those syringes and (laughs) and what we get toward the end i'm not going to speculate too far now but like the idea is it's it's kieran right like the brother he's the one that manipulated her memory so she could not remember all this stuff is that still your thought or do you think it is henry or daniel or some combination of it tom in three hours when we get to the conclusion of this podcast (laughs) i'll be ready to speak to what my theory is because I'm still formulating it, and <laughs> the reason we do this is so that I can talk through my crazy. Love it. I've got thoughts, too. Henry turns to Elliot, and he's like, if you're brave enough, I can show you the truth. Elliot's like, nah, I'm all right. Yeah, I'm cool. Where's my beetle? Where's Alfred? <laughs> then we cut to a scene of all the ships. Ike joins the cast. He's like, and whenever everyone that is important is going to be together. I'm just going to refer to them as the cast. So the cast mm-hmm. is at this point, uh, Ling Yi, Mrs. Wilson, Clements, Jerome, Ramiro, mm-hmm. Mara, that whole, that whole team. I'm sure I forgot someone, but when I like how Ike comes onto this boat here too, right? It's the same way that Daniel gets on the boat, the way it's filmed where he kind of like slams his hand yep. on the kind of side of the boat and, or, and gets in. I thought that was kind of a cool little callback to that early. Yep. Scene. Yep. And you're like, man, how tall is that rope ladder that he just had to crawl <laughs> up in order to, cause it was metal. We've seen it in the other episodes. It's metal. It certainly is metal. We find out and Mar at this point, Based on what Daniel has told her, she is like, mm-hmm. listen, Daniel's my husband. The boy is my son. Mara's a doctor. I think there's a riddle about this. It's specific to, <laughs> I can't operate on this boy. He's my son. That It's that joke and that riddle is actually about Daniel, Mara, and Elliot. Oh, Look okay. it up. Because it's, it's from 1899. This is Sounds something right. that very few people know. But It was a sexist joke, so... <laughs> is joke the right word or is it anyways mara is like yep that's everything that's happening my father owns the ship we all he made me forget Mm -hmm. this isn't real this is some sort of simulation if you're on this ship and you're listening to this woman you're kind of like and i mean mara you're kind of like yeah, this all checks out. Or are you like, <laughs> this is crazy? Uh, where where are you at on if someone, if I walk into your room and I'm like, this is all a simulation. <laughs> what's your mindset there? I, so I think I said this in the last pod. She and Ike have both experienced a lot more, I think, than the majority of these people. And I guess I take that back a little bit. Like Tove has kind of gone, she's gotten a backstory or like a, an episode where she, you know, got to see hers. Jerome did, 
Clements didn't, right? Virginia didn't. Ramiro didn't. So, like, like, a good chunk of these people don't, like, granted, there's the black virusy stuff that's going on. Sure. There's plenty of stuff to, that's unexplainable, but not to the point that Mara and Ike have seen it. So, I think I would probably be in the same boat as, like, Virginia, where I'd be like, yeah, this is crazy. This is weird, but I just want to get out of here. I right. want to get off this ship and do something else as opposed to, yeah, okay, I'll believe you about the simulation bit. And Mara's argument to try and prove to him is like, hey, do any of you remember boarding this ship? And they all mm-hmm. have this moment of, and I was trying to remember, is this something that's from like Inception or is this like, yeah. hey, if you can't remember how you got to where you're at, you might be in a dream? Does that Yeah, make I think sense? Leo Leo is sitting at a bar with Cillian Who's Leo, Murphy. Tom? Can you be Leonardo more specific? Leonardo DiCaprio, excuse me. Oh, oh. I know it was Leo. We're friends. Oh, sure, sure, sure. <laughs> I did, uh, yeah, I'd forgotten you two. But he's Chums. like, <laughs> he's pretending to be like his like Inception security. And he kind of tells Cillian Murphy like, hey, do you remember how you got here to this bar into the seat kind of a mm. deal? So very much stolen. Not stolen, but you know, the, the similar kind of concept taken from uh, Inception here for this. Jante Fries and Baron Bo Odar did not steal any of this. So please do not besmirch Jante Fries and Baron Bo Odar. Hey, I think that sounds pretty good, man. Baron well Bo Odar sounds like a Lord of the Rings character, by the way. I'm just going to say. Uh, but I do find it funny that everybody conveniently has like their letters in their pockets, too. Even like Clements, who put on a brand new pair of pants and just pulls out the letter. <laughs> yes. Yes. I would have liked it if there was one person that was like, oh, I didn't. I, You got a letter? I just, no, I just bought a ticket and showed up. Sounded like a fun time. I wanted to go to New York. Yeah, that would have been good. And they're just patting down all their pockets. And they're like, actually, mine was in my pants. And then it's like, Clements, are you wearing my pants? That would have been a better scene. Maybe but. Clements has uh, Lucien's envelope. <laughs> i think she makes the argument that daniel's trying to help and ike Mm -hmm. i mean naturally because this is his lover competition he's like i don't know (laughs) that guy seems pretty suspicious i think Ike does it a few times in this episode where he kind of plays the audience a bit where okay we're in a simulation anything can kind of be true nothing can be true so he kind of asks some questions i think the is fair of the audience is asking too about okay well if this is fake or this memory is planted how do we know this is true so i think that's kind of interesting and who knows you can maybe go back to the first season see some of his lines here and maybe it's going to make more sense later on sure that is a very good point we cut from there and Tom, biggest question I have, who does the wiring? Who does the wiring for the show? Who does the wiring for the ship? Who does the wiring in the walls? I just want to meet them. I don't know. I mean, I'm a, again, I think we talked about this. I My assumption is this just represents the brain and all the synapses and wires that have to connect and do all this bit. And I think Mara goes into it a little bit later. Um, and Daniel, like, trying to hotwire it. It is a fascinating sequence when he's just prying open the mainframe and reaching back and pulling something and shove it in his little like doohickey. It's just funny because it, none of it makes sense and it's all just bananas, but it's, it's a cool visual. Yep. This reminds me of any time I've tried to fix something on my vehicle that has to do with an electrical system. <laughs> and in the end, the mechanic is asking the same question of me <laughs> that I just asked of you, uh, who did this wiring and why does it look like this? And I was like, listen, I gave it a shot. And he says, don't give it a shot next time. We cut from there, and we have <laughs> Henry and Elliot 
once again, we give Henry the job of kind of giving us the overarching stuff. And he's like, listen, you can't delete memories. They're part of who we are. And I think he says it maybe here and some other times about how those memories kind of make it into the simulation. You can't just Mm -hmm. like get rid of them completely. And he's like, I'm going to show you some things. Don't be afraid because guess what? This isn't real. Mm -hmm. And the kid should have like punched him in the mouth and been like, did that hurt? Is it real? (laughs) But he doesn't because the show wasn't written as a comedy. Other than that time that guy's wearing garlic, which to me will be the funniest thing I've seen in a show in a long time. We go from there. Other than the Murderville Tom made me watch about Santa Claus, which was great. But we'll talk about that at the end. We cut from there. We've got the cast on the ship. Mrs. Wilson is freaking out a little bit, mainly because she's slowly being taken over by the Black Plague. (laughs) And she's like, why are you here? Tell us. Mara starts talking about, well, she thinks this all goes back to her brother and that he sent her a key and that if she gets the key, she thinks she'll remember. Mm -hmm. And this was a time where I was like, okay, got it. We know there's a key. We know the key's important. Thank you for reminding us. I'm back in. The key is Mm -hmm. super important. Mrs. Wilson takes that information and she says, cool, uh, Ling Yi, let's get off this ship. And so they (laughs) depart and I think Ling Yi was the the start here. Like she oh, the she? where she starts like in Cantonese, like kind of yelling at Mara, like about all this being crazy and everything else. And she just wants to get off the ship. And Mrs. Wilson's like, yeah, hundred percent. I'm, I'm with you. Right. And she's like, everything on the ship has made sense so far. So what would make more <laughs> sense is let's jump in the big blue ocean. That is not at all stormy. There's a bunch of other ships out there, right? Like, can't you just uh, get swim, a little dinghy? Swim to one from one to another, get a dinghy mm-hmm. and just, Here's what I'm going to do in this situation. I'm going to recommend everyone else to part the ship. And then I'm just going to have the ship to myself. It's a ship that's supposed to have close to a 1,000 passengers. Think of all the food, the wine, the booze that's just there for the taking. It's like a cruise where you're all alone with no one to talk about. I'm staying on ship. We call it's that a dry cruise, though. Ooh. I would probably throw myself <laughs> off the side of the ship. Just I'm gonna like all like those it. other. That's why all those other people jumped off. They're like, there's no booze on this ship. And they all just hurled themselves off. <laughs> Anyways, don't write me about that. Ike and Mara are the <laughs> only ones left. And she's like, you believe me, right? And Ike's like, y- yeah, y- yeah, I kind of, y- yeah, I believe you. And uh, <laughs> they then go, I think they go to Mara's room and there's no hatch, right? That's the room yeah. they go to. Because they want to go back to that mental hospital, whatever. So that is their end goal, and they cannot get there. They try to pry open the wood, and it's still just the hole. Right. And Daniel had given her some sort of clue about like the key, or you'll know how to mm-hmm. get back to that. And so she then realizes, okay, I need to go next door to room 1013. Yep. Nailed it. <laughs> and she then uses the wedding ring to get into Daniel's room. And there's his hatch in his memory? Or well, does the, the Red Wing just kind of give her the clue to go to his room? Yeah, I think she just starts thinking about, like, the connection with Daniel and goes there. But this is, I don't I don't want to say it's a plot hole, if you will, but they just go down Daniel's hatch and then are able to 
go through it. Like we've seen in the past, you kind of have to have the beetle or something to open a door as like a gateway, but there doesn't sure. seem to be in this sequence. But maybe, yeah, maybe the wedding ring is the, the catalyst to get the door open. Sure. But I think Daniel put all of his malice and all of his wrath into this ring. And so <laughs> she's wearing it. She has the power. So it's kind of like a ring of... Uh, fortuitousness. Yep, that's exactly right. Say it with me. Ring <laughs> of fortuitiveness is what Tom said. <laughs> oh, I won't go back. They go into library lovemaking room. There's a bunch <laughs> of pictures on the floor. She's like, listen, I'm in a lot of these, but I don't feel anything. And Ike's like, all right, all right. So there's still a chance. There's still a chance. I got a question here. Yes, sir. Do you sir. think that... Does that mean something where she keeps reiterating the fact that she doesn't have any feeling? Because they've pushed so hard on this Ike and Mara relationship, do you think that maybe there is more to this and Daniel isn't really the husband? Maybe it's Ike. Maybe that stuff is planted. Because you figure she would have, when she gets this knowledge, it would hit her and she'd be like, oh, that's true. This is my son. And I do feel these memories. Or is that more of her scrubbing this entire relationship from her brain? That's a good question. I feel like towards the end of the episode, she has more of an emotional response towards Elliot Mm -hmm. and certainly Daniel when she says goodbye. But it would not, I would not argue with you that I don't think that something is creeping to the surface here where a bond between Ike and Mara is more strong, stronger, I believe is the term I'm looking for, than... Mm -hmm horror relationship with daniel so while i'm a big daniel and mara guy that's where i've Mm -hmm. stood this whole time as soon as he dripped wet on the deck of the ship i knew (laughs) he was the one for mara but Mm -hmm. i think you i think you're on to something here i don't Mm -hmm. know what daniel and elliot represent if that is a bygone relationship and a bygone child and i think we can talk about that more once we find out who's in the room at the last scene of the episode mm-hmm, maybe mm-hmm. but that's a great question something i've thought about quite a bit <laughs> since did I you wake up in the this. middle of the night and think about it i did not wake up in the middle of the night i woke up in the <laughs> middle of a room standing surrounded by a bunch of other people that were all hooked up to the magical dream machine <laughs> they talk about how this could be an illusion too And then she starts talking, or he's like, oh, it could be a pattern, a blueprint. All these things are similar. I don't know. This one got kind of gibbery-dashery for me. I'm sure that's a term. (laughs) (laughs) Gibbery-dashery. Yeah. Old-time English term. Yeah, yeah, That's what people say. That's what they said in 1899. Uh, but I, I like how Ike came at it from like a cap, ship captain's perspective, right? It's got to have a blueprint. It has to be schematics. Um, and then they go back and forth about how memories can be stored in different areas. And Mara's like can be connected through neural pathways. And she made mention of something that I'd always kind of heard about in terms of brain science. The idea that like smell is one of the most keen senses tied to memory. How you can have a specific scent. You smell something and it can just flood your brain with thoughts of, you know, memories from long 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 past so i thought that's kind of cool and it's kind of neat to throw something that i think is maybe more digestible for people that have limited knowledge of brain science because i know i'd heard that before i thought that was kind of a cool little bit yep and it makes sense my mother gave my eight-year-old a bottle of perfume 
that is being used rather liberally these days. And I don't think I will ever forget the feelings I have towards that scent and how we are going to hide the bottle. They do break over in a wall panel and there's a flashlight. I was like, that's kind of convenient. What does that mean to the situation? That's kind of like in the Matrix where they're like, hey, we need we need guns. And he's like, this room has guns. I don't know. I thought this was strange. Yeah. He finds a torch on the wall. A torch. Forgive me. Yes. We should speak in their language. A torch. <laughs> we cut from them and Daniel is firing up the doohickey machine. He seemingly finds the center of the shenanigans hub, right? Like, because he does enough where then like the central core of this thing pops out, which is this gold, beautiful, steampunky wire awesomeness. Just yep. so, so cool and practically done. I loved it. Yep. And there is something to be said about a show that's not like him saying, and man, I hope I'm not wrong on this, but he's not like, oh, the central core. Like, he's not like verbally telling us everything he's discovering. He Mm -hmm. literally, I don't think he says anything, but just the way he's acting, the way they've designed the show and like the set pieces and stuff and that machinery, you're kind of like, oh, that's important. It's, It's going to come into play here. And so you just know it's the, central core of the shenanigans up <laughs> i think Rather later we get we get the first defense. the first mate um makes one mention of it saying that he is in the mainframe and messing with the code kind of thing so they don't they don't hit us over the head with it initially but they do give us a little hint later sure thanks first mate for ruining my compliment <laughs> of the show thank it beardy do we know his name does he have a name i looked it up it's sebastian oh good for you the abandoned ship rent- McBeardy. <laughs> Sebastian <laughs> McBeardy. Oh man. The abandoned ship red light starts flashing. We get some siren. Looks cool, right? Oh yeah, just some more awesome cinematography. Because we got the same like red hue when they did the flares and everybody's like on deck and uh-huh. it just you know lights up everybody, but now they're in these hallways just rumbling around trying to escape this black virus stuff. Super, super cool. Yep. The black stuff starts kind of like spreading, multiplying, shooting out everywhere. Once again, real big hero, sti- big hero six type stuff. When it gets like more aggressive, right? Whenever whatever he does, Daniel, it, it forces this stuff to like almost start taking a mind of its own, as opposed to it just like slowly coming out of walls. Now it's almost like snake like, and it's going yep. through the halls and coming after him. That was this cool, cool visual. Yep. And when something like that gets aggressive, you need to speak directly to it and you need to say (laughs) you say hey you stop being so aggressive and that will typically fix it Mm -hmm. not in this case everyone's dead but i don't know if this thing has a crotch but i would knee it in the crotch oh wow not me i'd use my (laughs) judo fingers and i would poke it in the eyes When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
I've said this before. I'll say it again. I love a good split up. We're breaking off into pairs. Romero and Ying and Ling Yi go their way. Jerome and Clements go their way. And Mrs. Wilson and Tove go their way. Mm-hmm. Cool. I'm sure they'll all survive when they split up. <laughs> we go back from there and we're with the boy and Henry. He is talking about, once again, more memory stuff, more simulation stuff, memory mm-hmm. triggers. Then we have the boy and Henry. Once again, as old British actors do, he's talking <laughs> about memory stuff. Mm-hmm. He gets more like the simulation and the idea of, this was, I think, a really cool line, how your mind may not remember because it might have been erased or manipulated or whatever, uh, but your body does. Like, your body still remembers, and if you get in a scene or if you fully immerse yourself in it, you can force the mind to remember, and it was a really cool concept. Hmm. So this is the idea of something, like, triggering you? Mm-hmm. I wonder if, I'm just kind of come with this on the fly, like, oh. the idea of all the scarification we've seen with characters where your mind doesn't remember um, but your body does like the idea of like you having a scar, even though you don't know about it is that exact manifestation, right? Because at the very, very end sequence, we'll get into it. But some of the characters who had very prominent scars do not have them mm. when they're on the spaceship. Mm. Yeah. You're digging emotionally deeper than I would ever want to delve because if you <laughs> delve too b- deep, that's where Balrogs come from. So <laughs> No, sir. I will not delve emotionally deep with you. Okay. I will just assume that you should rub some dirt on it and drink water, and you'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Take a salt tablet. There you go. <laughs> Take a salt tablet. That's a new one. The King of the Hill reference. I've never, never even watched the show, but there's an episode of King of the Hill where he just keeps telling all the kids to take a salt tablet. Interesting. I watched <laughs> some King of the Hill. I can see it now. That's the next show we're going to be doing. Spoilers. <laughs> All nine seasons. I think Henry says something about we're not in Mara's simulation. We're in Elliot's. And then we're back in that weird injection room with the mm-hmm. single chair. Such a big room for a single chair, right? Like, is this it a is. learning hospital? Are there often crowds watching these injections? <laughs> Such a large room for... Mm-hmm. I've been in a doctor's, like, examination room. You don't have anywhere to put your stuff, you know? I'm going in there with stuffed animals. I've got nowhere to put them. I've got a raincoat because it's Arizona and it never rains, but I'm always prepared. I would also argue that table is very far away from the operating chair, right? Like where those needles were, you had to walk a good 20 paces. He's like, listen, when I inject someone in the neck, I want them to have a good 15 (laughs) seconds of watching me walk towards them with the needle. And the builder's like, whatever you say, boss, I'll build a table over here. (laughs) <laughs> so that's probably why and he's also like i would like room enough for a crowd he's like oh do you have people watch this never almost never but i do want the option just yes. in case of course the old needle in the neck i appreciate he's like this may hurt we get him <laughs> injected with i'm gonna say milk whole milk definitely not two percent or skim whole milk yeah. does that because he has the two syringes one very black one very white um, and I like the stuff they do here because he hits him with the wide injection, which is supposed to, I guess, allow him to see a past memory that maybe had been blocked from him. And like the kid's outfit changes, like he's wearing black in the simulation, 
once he gets shot with this white thing, his whole uh, costume changes. And now he's in like the white gown of the, you know, what we see Mara in and the Sustain Asylum and in this chair. So it's kind of a cool little dichotomy of the, the color scheming they're doing here. Right. And then he has a quick memory, I believe, of him, Mara, and Daniel. Mm-hmm. And then it's a memory of Daniel arguing with Mara about how we don't need to do this. This isn't right. And then Mara gives Elliot an ejection of the black stuff. Is that right? Yes. And Is my simulation yeah. correct when I <laughs> remember this in my own simulation? I think you are because it starts with Daniel specifically saying, like, we can't stop him from dying. And all of this is taking place in, like, the eyes of Elliot, which is just brutal. Like, he's trying to tell his mom no. He's trying to talk, and he's almost like if your your mind is there, but your body isn't kind of a thing. It's, like, mm-hmm. almost the reverse of what um, Henry had said. Just so, so brutal for this kid having to go through this again and, and see this. Yeah, it was brutal. We then have Henry kind of explaining some more about... We're trapped in a simulation. Mm-hmm. You're trapped in a simulation so your mom can keep you alive. And then this is where he starts talking about the Plato Cave allegory, which we talked mm-hmm. about in the previous episode. And he's like, your mom, when she was a child, probably two years old, she was doing some light reading, <laughs> reading Plato as one does, eating Plato on a plate while reading Plato. <laughs> and the theme here is that our knowledge is limited. How do we know if anything is real? You know, how do we know if there's life outside of the kind of reality we're living? And then she starts, well, he has a conversation with her. And this is Henry having a deep conversation with his two-year-old daughter who is <laughs> eating Play-Doh off a plate while reading Play-Doh. I think you're like 12. Okay, I don't know. Okay. The, when do children read? I don't know. My kids are still working on it. <laughs> and they do talk about this like life outside of what we're living and his response is well isn't that what god is and then she's like well if god is then he's living in the real world who created god and mm-hmm. the uh, the correlation or the example is it's just a doll's house that we're all living in and i was not sober enough for any part of this conversation <laughs> because who just let me live in my current simulation, right? Don't try and pull me out of it, show. Yes, it's a deep conversation, like chicken and egg kind of thing, right? Like what come first, what's real, what's not. Um, it was, I don't know, man, it's to your point. It's something that you can just think about and ponder for a lifetime, and I'm sure many have. But the idea at the end here where Henry's kind of saying like, okay, this is a dollhouse, and it was a dollhouse built for you, you are the one that are is truly trapped in here because Mara created all this. I might, might Mara might be the creator, but she's really trapped you in here mm. and somehow rubbed everybody else in. Yep. And he's like, listen, the only way out of this dollhouse is the key that your mom has. I don't know if we've mentioned it enough times during <laughs> this episode, but there's a key. She's got it. We need it. She has it. It's a key. Well, he shows... So I got a question. He shows the boy or Elliot here, the pyramid that Elliot had been holding onto like the yep. entire series. He twists yep. the edge, pops open the top, cracks a cold one. And then we see the wake up and we see the yep. key slot. Yep. Does Elliot, does he just know that this is what Henry has been looking for the whole time from him and Daniel going through previous simulations? Does Elliot know this thing pops open and holds this significance? Or is this the first time Elliot's ever seen this thing as the 
quote-unquote lock for the key. I don't think Elliot... I think Elliot knew that this was important, and that's why they didn't want to give it up, and then he eventually did. I don't know that Elliot had ever twisted the nipple on the pyramid in order to open it up. I believe that's what the pointy parts of a pyramid are called. So I don't know that he's ever opened it up to see the the key. Yeah. So hopefully that answers your questions. You nailed it. And I appreciate the triangle science. The more you know. I'm a math guy. I love geometry. I love the pointy points of geometry. Mm-hmm. Daniel is doing his mainframe wire, moving the little poppet around, <laughs> and all of a sudden he's like changing doors into walls and walls into doors, and this is very confusing for our pairs of main characters that are running around <laughs> trying to find something. And then they eventually start like popping through walls, And so this is the time where we see normally someone has to go through one of those hatches in order to get to like the Mm -hmm. black tile subway tile to go through a wall to go to a memory. Well, Daniel is now changing all of that. So all of our pairs are now in someone else's memory. Some of them might touch their own a little bit, but he, I think through the first mate known as Sebastian, I didn't know if you know his name, we find out that he's (laughs) hacked into the mainframe and... The first mate is like, we need to find her and get the key. Once again, the key, it turns out, Tom, is pretty important to the show. Yeah, and I think the the first mate here, Vic Beardy, is, is getting like a little bit restless and is like, hey, the like stuff's hitting the fan here. We need to get this key as soon as possible, which, you know, Henry and him are kind of, I don't know, left and right hand man with this operation. But ultimately what we're seeing here is this is Daniel rewriting the code of the ship. So what was a door is now uh, a hatch. Um, so it kind of starts setting up this idea that we're going to get towards the end of the scene of like him swapping the code for the key. But I love like all this chaos and everything that's like ensuing with this uh, sequence and how we're just getting everybody smashing into all these things. It's all hitting us like, boom, you get in one world and you get into another and people are popping another. It's just loved the chaos of it all. And it makes so much more sense when you watch the making of. It almost feels like, and I mean the making of the show, like how the set is designed and what they used in terms of technology. Mm -hmm. I almost feel like you don't come up with this idea or this idea looks differently if you don't have the technology they had in the real world in order to make the show. And we can talk about it later, but Mm -hmm. very cool. I loved it. And we also have this virus that's spreading and it's forcing people to go into these different simulations Ramiro pulls on the rope at the well because I think he initially thinks he hears Angel, but then mm-hmm. it is the woman that uh, Ling Yi drowned. She's mm-hmm. talking out of the box, and what do you do when you pull a rope on a well and a box with a person <laughs> in it? You immediately let go of the rope, and that person goes right back into that well. You have... Who finds is does Lingyi find Olek? She opens up the in the snowy one. She opens up the weird She's... canopy thing, and Olek covered in what looks like oil. Mm-hmm. All yeah, he, yoked up, was... looking beautiful, just walking <laughs> around in the snow, covered in sweet Permian basin 
<laughs> black tar oil i don't know yeah because she was in the sequence with ramiro and then she just gets spooked and then just starts running away and then runs through seemingly another door into Olek's memory and i kind of mentioned this and i think in the last episode they gave us a quick glance of this where there's like blood on the snow and in the ground but you can see the blood literally goes towards this oil mm-hmm. drum pit whatever mm-hmm. this thing is that Olek comes out of and i don't know what to make of this but Man, does it look so cool of him just dead face and just walking out of the oil, finding another hatch, popping it open, going back to the ship. Like, it's just so cool. I love this. Yep. And Mrs. Wilson seems to be disintegrating from the black stuff that's on her hand. Mm -hmm. And there should have been a scene where Mrs. Wilson, like, I go to be with my, like lost family as like it's trickling away but it trickles away too slow so like you have to stare at her while she's (laughs) like i'm dying and you're like not dying fast enough we gotta watch this the whole oh oh it's like an end game where all those people (laughs) are like disintegrating but like if they would have disintegrated a lot slower and he was just like (laughs) mr stark i'm scared or whatever he says during that scene and it's just like man you're taking a really long time to disintegrate (laughs) (laughs) um that's kind of what i thought about but yeah yeah it's probably not the right thing to be thinking about anyways (laughs) we go to henry henry obviously what every kid wants to hear he's like your father is a fool he'll destroy (laughs) the simulation and then he says something that's a little rough Mm. he's like listen your dad every time he gets to choose between you and your mom he chooses your mom Mm. and that was kind of rough probably but elliot's not real right elliot's dead so what does he care does he care (laughs) i don't know i don't know like this father creator like we talked about in the last episode where he's very emotionless and kind of robotic almost i'm almost you're talking about henry or you're talking about daniel i'm talking about henry like he's very much like british actor henry yeah very black and white um and a lot of his delivery is he almost seems like he might be some sort of like AI almost to the show where he's like, why are people emotional? Always chooses you. He doesn't obviously have any sort of like bedside manner with this seemingly his grandson. It's, it's, it's a brutal scene the stuff to watch and Elliot, you know, can't make sense of this, but he's clearly at this point siding with his, you know, would be grandfather here. Sure. I think he calls him Papa, Papa (laughs) creator. (laughs) Just such a loving, loving creator. He hugs him at one point and he's like, what are you doing with your arms? Why are you <laughs> Why are you trying to crush me? We cut from there. We have Ike and Mara talking about how all the memories are connected. How did he connect our memories? And this is interesting on the second watch when you get to the last room where mm-hmm. everyone's hooked up to the thing. That answers that question. But I did like how they put it where Ike's like, listen, if we're all in each other's memories, like how are we in Mm -hmm. each other's memories if all these memories are true? That doesn't matter because like most Broadway shows, we get the cast all together at the end. They all (laughs) drop in from like different areas. They like fall through the ceiling. They run through the wall and they're like, Mm -hmm. how did you get here? And they're all like, oh, I was following so-and-so's voice. And then Angel starts singing and my subtitle just says, like, angel singing child rhyme Lullaby or song or, yeah. or something. And I was mm-hmm. like, okay, cool. Sounds sounds pretty. Super ominous and creepy and scary. But Not yeah, at all. So. I loved every minute of it. It's now on my Spotify playlist. 
Uh, it'll probably make my year-end rap because I've listened to it so much. Every I can't. In fact, I can't sleep unless Angel sings me some sort of haunting nursery rhyme. Yeah, I play it for my son every night. <laughs> oh, poor boy. Ike and Mara are talking about how this might be a fake reality that they're stuck in. And then I think mm-hmm. the first mate shows up, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And he comes in here, and man, does he have a line. Like, he comes in and said, it's crazy you haven't figured out what this is all about yet. And I'm just like, man, nobody knows what this is all about. <laughs> like, Coming in this hot. This is such a, such a jerk line to say. But I, I'm going to bring this up here because I've got I've got ideas about this, this character. So my assumption, we get a big bombshell at the end with knowing that Kyrian uh, is the, the brother of Mara, has some sort of bigger role, and he's kind of maybe the mastermind or the puppet master of, of everything that's going on here. I want to say, and, and, I, and we never see him throughout this whole season, and my assumption would be we have seen him at some point. If he's going to be that central of a character, that we he is a main piece of this series and of this season. So I'm going to just throw this out there. And I feel like Sebastian McBeardy here might be Kieran. Okay. Um, and I, I, like I think it. there's there's some things to pull on because he, he kind of has similar features with Mara. Like they're both redheads. I think she's a redhead. He's got a red beard. He's kind of like the right-hand man of Henry. He, you know, he was the one that was kind of in on it since the beginning. We didn't really know he was, but he has been manipulating this thing the whole time. We get the little bit uh, that Henry does at kind of the end when he does his last little big exposition, uh, or not exposition, but, you know, his British speech about the avoider and seeker kind of concept um, and how Mara was the seeker, he's, uh, Kieran was the avoider. So I think that kind of plays well with this, of him always being at Henry's side and them kind of working together. And, yeah, I don't know. Like I, I feel like if Kieran is going to be a big catalyst for the series, we need to have met him. Uh, sure. And maybe he was he was this character. Tom, great work. I would not argue against that. And we don't. He's not in the room at the end, right? He's not one of the people in the room. No. Yep. Not that we see. Not one on the board. Listen, the after party, <laughs> Ted Lasso, all of those mystery ones that we've watched, you've figured out. So I'm I'm not going to argue. And I did not think of this. And I love it. I love mm. every part of it. So you've done good work, Inspector, Constable, Thomas. <laughs> but again, I'm probably wrong, but it's fun to Tom? theorize. And he throw enough things at the wall, something will Tom, <laughs> you've done a great job, Inspector, Constable. How's the hand? It's a bit stiff. <laughs> Wonderful. That's great. I, I mean... I don't know where we go from there because I'm processing <laughs> everything you've just dropped on my lap and now my groin hurts. But <laughs> we go from there and someone says something about the simulation being corrupted. It's all falling apart. Mm-hmm. Oh, the the first mate. He's like, hey, give yeah. me the key. Everyone's going to be cool. Listen, not nothing's gonna happen to any of you lovely people just give me the key you know i'm super friendly he gets the key and he immediately shuts ike off which is super sad does he say sorry to ike just like daniel does to ada does he say i'm sorry he does he gives some line before he shuts him off i i think he goes go sleep and then he (laughs) hits the button i don't know i'll have what she's having (laughs) she's (laughs) 
I do know. I do know. I'll top that, Tom. I do know. After he hits the button, he goes, Did I do that? <laughs> Steve Urkel reference? Yep, there you go. Listen, we had it in the after party. Why not here? Why not here? Why not, I say. I say, why not? <laughs> I did that for my kids. My kids were like, what are you doing? I was like, you'll meet him. You'll meet Stefan one day. <laughs> Mara, Elliot, Henry, and the first mate. It's a family meeting. Family hold meeting. Hold on, hold on, hold on. You can't, <sighs> you can't skip over Ike's death here, right? Like, I mean, it gets quote-unquote death. Like, this was brutal. Like, he just falls to the ground, eyes still open, staring at the stars, and Mara has to, like see him like this was tough and even though we know he's simulation this kind of hit me hard or no i don't know i thought about this a little bit but like my emotional investment in this show i don't see ike as like a huge main character i don't okay i don't know i don't have i don't know i (laughs) did it didn't hit me hard tom that's all i can say okay it it hit me hard enough that I pulled out the Urkel impression. That's all I can say. You know? <laughs> yeah. Oh, we just love like this actor. Right? Oh yeah. From oh, one hundred percent. And he does and... a great job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the also, assumption is he's coming it. back. He's not really yeah. dead. That's the yeah. Thing. So that's fair. The emotional weight of this, like like a lot of the other characters that I think passed in the previous episode, we know at that point that it's Simulation Town, and you know what is quote unquote dead here. Um, and they do skip over this kind of quickly, right? It's like Mara has a moment, but mm-hmm. because Mara knows it's simulation town, she's not getting like crazy worried, I guess, if you will. Right. And it's just like Switch and the other character I don't remember in the Matrix when they pull the plug, when they Switch. put the plug back in, they're all fine. Her, na- so. Her name was Switch. Switch and the other character. Not like this. <laughs> <laughs> and they were fine when they plugged him back in, right? They came back. Anyways, family meeting. It's not really a family meeting because I don't think anyone yells, but there is kind of a stern lecture. Or I guess there's a little bit of yelling, but anyways. It's funny that you say family meeting with Mara, Elliot, Henry, and the first mate. Yep. That would be family meeting. Daughter, mother, son, father, grandfather, first mate. Everyone has to have a first mate at a family meeting. <laughs> Rule number one, an unbiased participant so that when fists start flying, the police know who to talk to. <laughs> she has a line here where she says, I'm your daughter. What kind of father would do this? Because she feels like he has trapped her in this simulation. Mm-hmm. And I don't think I picked this up on the first watch, but on the second watch, I was like, oh, this is kind of like what she did to Elliot in terms of mm. trapping him in a simulation in order to keep him alive and what Elliot was trying to do with Alfred, the main character of this show, the mm. beetle he put into a box and wouldn't set nice. free. So, yeah, that's a very good, very good catch there. I don't think I caught that either. It's probably not even a catch, but that's the connection my brain meant there made. Yeah. Henry's like... <laughs> I like how you said, Sebastian, the first mate, his, it's crazy you haven't figured out what this about was kind of like a disrespectful comment. Henry's, you're not asking the right questions, which I think has been, I think has been said said before before. in the show. Mm -hmm. But I still think it's just a great, if you're ever in an argument, just 
and you really want it to escalate to the next level where people are screaming, just say something like, you're not asking the right questions. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then he takes the key from her. Mm-hmm. She starts asking about Kyrian. And he's like, yeah, Kyrian is the last one you need to be concerned with. Tom, mm-hmm. I will say in this scene, when she says, where is Kyrian, we don't get a a shot of Henry looking at the first mate and like <laughs> yeah. winking at him. So that kind of flies in the face of your theory. Because if this was an American-made show, uh, <laughs> Henry most certainly would look at the first mate be like, Wink. I don't know where Kyrian is. You shouldn't be concerned with him. And Mar would be like, what's wrong with your eye? And he'd be like, I have dry eyes, which I use. And then it'd be like a product placement commercial because that's how American shows work. USA. USA. Anyways. Mara gets strapped into the <laughs> the single chair circular room for mm-hmm. a crowd. Well, and I'm going to bring up right here because this is, I'd asked this question early on. The very first episode, we got the quick flashes of all these crazy things in Mara's past, future, present, whatever, of her getting strapped to the chair and her getting needled. And I had mentioned when <laughs> she was doing one of her episodes, was she having a flashback or was she having like a flash forward? And I think I was kind of right in both, right? Because the idea of the simulation restarting is always restarting with her getting this black goo needle, right? Yep. So I thought that was kind of interesting too, where sure it is a flashback, but it's also a flash forward and a flash forward and a flash forward because it just keeps happening. Yep. No, you did a great job. A thousand internet points to you. I do (laughs) want to point out that the syringes, if you watch the making of, they do designate which is which. So the white one is whole milk and the black one (laughs) is licorice. So we can refer to them as the licorice syringe. And actually, the black licorice syringe and the white whole milk syringe. Okay. Um, it Much doesn't easier. really help make it any quicker because you could just say white and black. But once again, not an American-made show, so mm-hmm. it's okay. This podcast is known for its uh, accuracy. So, <laughs> Snopes loves to check us. Is Snopes the right <laughs> word? Anyways. We're born into this world either an avoider or a seeker, which is mm-hmm. something you brought up from the top, and I am just remembering now was a conversation. <laughs> so I'll let you take this one. Who's the avoider and who's the seeker? So they say Kieran is the avoider and Mara's the seeker, and he's got this big, you know, again, British speech about, you know, I wish Mara wasn't a seeker. The seekers are driven by their urge to gain knowledge, and you are difficult. I liked your brother better. Um but Does he say that? Does he say he likes his brother better, or is that just no. implied? <laughs> Tom, are you implied. reading? Are you reading too deep into this? About I bring sim- a lot of Plato recently. As someone who's got siblings, are you reading too deep into this <laughs> about the dad being? I like your brother better. <laughs> but I do think it's. I mean, we're two guys on a podcast. Who's the avoider? Who's the seeker here? Am I the avoider, and you're the seeker? Do you no. seek out more knowledge? Are we both seekers? No, I think for two people that have had deep conversations about weirdness, I think we could both be designated as seekers. Yeah. I feel like I'm one. I I like to chase the quaffle. I don't understand that reference, and I won't respond to it. (laughs) It's a Harry Potter reference, bro. Never heard of her. (laughs) I could be saying that wrong. I think it's it's a quaffle, right? Isn't that the big ball that hits people off the brooms? Tom, you're asking the wrong guy. (laughs) 
Don't your kids read it? Aren't they currently reading it? I am not going to help you on this one. <laughs> okay. Yes, they read it. I don't read it. I read it once. I listened to the audiobook once. A pirated audiobook. A pirated audiobook in Spanish. I don't speak Arr. Spanish. Was no, it by not, pirates? Not, pi- not a pirate audiobook. A oh, pirated awesome. audiobook. Harry Potter. <laughs> oh, no. All right. Let's land this ship, man. Come on. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, sorry. goodness. Henry says something about sick mind games of mm-hmm. hers and that she's the creator. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. And we all got this right, but this is the idea is it's a revolution to her. She doesn't know this, and she's like, oh, no, wait, what? I am the creator kind of a thing? Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. And she has forced everyone to be trapped in a loop. We have Henry taking the black licorice syringe. <laughs> And he's like, listen, you're going to forget this ever happened just like all the times before. Mm. And she's like, I don't like black licorice. And then he stabs her in the neck. Henry's back in his office with Elliot and his first mate. He pulls out the old key and the pyramid and he twists the nipple. It opens up and (laughs) we see that it says, wake up. He puts the key in. He turns it. It's not working. He turns it some more. He's like, it's still not working, and one of them's like, no, you gotta, you gotta uh, jiggle it a little bit, and then <laughs> kind of push a little harder. And he's like, I'm doing that, I'm doing that. And he's like, no, 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 let me try. And they like argue over it a little bit, and he's just like, it's not working. And then he's like, he changed the code, and yeah. the simulation is corrupted and deleting, and the cast watches the cool fire simulation thing. Almost like they're staring at a big screen. Yeah, it's weird. like the countdown is kind of happening. And I, well, I don't know if it's a countdown. Well, no, I think there actually literally is a countdown, but you got the voiceover. Well, we don't really know who, some sort of computer simulation thing just kind of saying that it's all going away. And I think, like you mentioned, it's a cool visual. It just comes to like the main hole of the ship. You see the Kerberos or whatever on the side. And then just as it zooms into it, just boo, everything just fades to black. It's super cool. It is very cool. There has not been a time in this show where I thought, that looks dumb. Everything (laughs) in this show looks good. Speaking of looking good, Mara wakes up. She's on the mountaintop. And just like a video game quest, there's a light shooting down on a cross of the grave, Mm. which this is Christmas time, not Easter time, so I won't make any references. But (laughs) she then goes down into Elliot's bunker. And who's in Elliot's bunker but Daniel? Well, she gets there first, so she sees the room, and then Daniel kind of comes in and does this weird thing where he comes down the ladder, like, backwards, and, like, gets to the bottom of the ladder, and then slowly turns. Like, it was a very dramatic, like, unnecessarily dramatic turn, but I guess he was just relieved that, oh my gosh, this this worked. My recoding of this worked. Well, his other option is to do what Dwight does when he they're role-playing outside of David Wallace's house, and he's like, no, he'd be more surprised. And he's like, ah! Anyways, there's your office reference. Drink. (laughs) Daniel's like, it didn't start all over again. And Mara's like, okay, that's an interesting greeting. And he's (laughs) like, this is the first simulation we created. Mm. This room. 
And then he goes and grabs the kid's toy pyramid, which I think you made reference to in the other episode. Was this a classic Tom Sleuth moment? Did you point I this don't... thing out? No, I'm not going to take credit for this. I, I, I could have gone back and, and watched the previous episodes where they go to this room, and it would have been cool if we actually saw it on the table. And based on these writers and, and how well they do with this, I'm sure it probably was. Um, and we probably wouldn't have thought too much about it, right? Because there's just triangles everywhere in this show. But I love the idea of this being recoded to a pyramid. So it's not a completely different rewrite of the code. It's still in a pyramid. There still is a key but it's a much, much cooler thing. And it still has wake up on it, right? But now it has like kid sticker letters as opposed to etched into the moon rock stuff. Sure, it looks like the easiest Rubik's Cube anyone's ever played <laughs> with. And we find out that the wedding ring holds the key and he pops it open. Yep. Yeah, and I again, like I, I knew there had to be more significance to the ring the way they've done it. And I was surprised initially when they showed the pyramid and it was the, the key hole was an actual like for a key i thought it would be the ring so i thought it was kind of cool how they remapped the, the toy circular spot for the ring yep i look forward to season two of the rings of power stealing this idea <laughs> he explains to her that while they've been inside her brother took over and he's been controlling everything on the outside and so mm. he is super important and he's like listen your brother he looks like He's got a big beard and <laughs> wears the rank of first mate. And he makes all of us call him first mate McBeardy. So if you run into someone like that, that's probably your brother. That's not what happens. But now that Tom's put that, now that Tom's inseminated my brain with, the, is that the right word? Now that Tom's incepted my brain with this idea that the first mate is Kieran, I don't think I'll be able to spit it out. But yeah. this is a big reveal here, right? Like the idea that she always thought the brother was like catalyst for getting her out of here. And, and, and maybe helping. that is true, yeah. right? But not necessarily. Like Daniel's been doing all of this against uh, Kieran's wishes uh, and saying, we have to stop him. It's bigger than you think. And you're like, ooh, okay. Interesting. Interesting. Once again, I'm still on the fence, though. Nothing being told could be the truth. That's what's exactly. fun about this. It's. Mm -hmm. Maybe this is another, like, the dad, the creator, Henry, was made as to be kind of the big bad. Oh, well, guess mm -hmm. what? He's in the simulation, too, and he might not even be real, to your point. He may just be AI. So who is the big bad? It's going to be your brother. Mm -hmm. I'm going to predict that it's Elliot, the son, from the grave, trying to ruin everyone's day. That's what I think is <laughs> happening. Okay. Or maybe he's not dead. Dun, dun, dun. Has that ever happened before? Has a show been like, oh, this person's dead, but the person's not actually dead? Is that something well, that you've ever, can you think I of mean, any that time ever being done? <laughs> we talked about this a bit. Like, they haven't explicitly said on screen that Elliot is dead. They have the line that Daniel said, you know, this won't stop him from dying kind of a thing. So mm -hmm. I mean, you can draw that, but we've never explicitly seen or we don't really know what the boy's story is and again to your point is the boy even real like is that you know she said she couldn't have kids is that true um is, oh, there, you know, is daniel real all that kind of stuff so it's just tough to tell and i'm not mad at it like i i like the idea that anything can be anything it's it's more fun it is certainly fun there could have also been a scene where Daniel's like, you can't save him. You just got to let him go. And she's like, no. And she injects him with the black licorice. And then Henry walks in and he's like, 
you've done it. He was black licorice deficient, and now he'll live because you shot black licorice into his carotid artery. And so now the boy will live forever on a diet of black licorice, which you might as well just end it because who wants to live on black licorice? Am I right? Well, I mean, I don't know. If you got to eat it, I mean, or, or I guess intake it, that's probably the way I want to intake it. I'm not going to ingest out of my mouth. Oh, I would... I would shoot it up the nose. Black licorice is best stored. Everyone knows okay. that. The opposite of the white lightning. It's the black thunder. <laughs> yes! Yes! Sorry, for those of you that don't know, Tom is recently out of rehab, so this is how we cope. There's a conversation about everyone being stuck in the simulation, and Daniel's like, you need to wake up. And Mara is like, will you be there when I wake up? And what does Daniel say? He says always, but he says it in the way of like, always, but yeah, not really. Like, I'm not really here kind of a thing. Sure. So don't know what to make of it. But he acted the heck out of this line. Right. It's like in a show when a parent is sacrificing themselves for their kid and their kid's like, you'll... You'll be there at the next family meeting, right? And the parents like got four arrows in their chest and they're like, yeah, I'm going to be at your first game, champ. I'm going to watch you throw that hat trick at the rink when you shoot the goals. And then the kid's like, yeah. And the kid walks off and the parent promptly dies. I got the same feeling that Daniel, no hope in his eyes. He's just Mm -hmm. like, nope. You're going to forget me. And his last words, I don't know if he had subtitles on, where Daniel was like, don't make love to Ike. And then that was <laughs> those were the last things that he said. So he's like, be lonely forever, I think is what he said. Very gurgle, unselfishly. Gurgle. Well, not if gurgle, you count the gurgling. Gurgle, 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 gurgle. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it so much. And this is it, Tom. This mm-hmm. is the payoff right here. She wakes up. And she is in a machine that is hooked all up to her brain. We are zoomed. Cool shot. Like very, Mm. I don't know, like very like aliens-esque, I guess I would say. Close up on her face. She's hooked up to this machine. She comes out of her stasis pod. I don't know what we're Mm going to call it. And I'm calling it a stasis pod because she is floating through. Say it with me, folks. Space. Space. And yeah, this is pretty, I don't know. This is pretty cool. It's great. And then we get the David Bowie star band kind of playing, which is very on the nose, but it's loved so it. on like, the nose. It's so, it's such a great sequence. And like, even as she's like then going to the computer and doing the other stuff, it's still playing in the background. It's just trippy and does a cool job of like tying into some of the early end credit beats that we got um, or music cues from the other episodes. Sure. So sure. before we get to the, you know, the next little bit that kind of happens here, I do want to talk about all the people that we see here. Yep. So she comes out of her, pod whatever right super cool visual practical pod hard to tell um and my wife even mentioned this like with all of the actors eyes closed and with like variations to them it's kind of hard to tell who everybody is but they Mm -hmm. kind of pair the people together of who they kind of had pairings with on the ship so as it goes around we have virginia and ike virginia's mrs wilson for those of you who are more proper (laughs) correct we have, and, and I think Ike doesn't have the little like white bit in his beard. Okay. So that's kind of interesting. Again, different 
variation of the person. We have Crester without his big facial scar. scar. So again, the idea, did this guy ever actually get shot? Is this backstory real? Probably not. It's all planted. You've got Tove, Olik, Yingli, and her mom. We have the uh, daddy Danish, mother Danish, Angel, Ramiro. Ramiro's supporting a full beard this time as opposed to just his little triangle goatee and sure. uh, flavor saver. Lucien, <laughs> Clemence, and Jerome. And as it pans, there's like another empty one. And I think and this is so brilliantly shot because unless you go back and watch this again, you're going to assume that this it's other hers. empty one is the one that she popped out yep. of. But it is not. Where she originally popped out, I think she was between uh, Ike and Virginia, if I have that right. And this one is like just to the left of Jerome. So there is clearly an empty pod that somebody else has gotten out of. So, again, plenty of things to theorize here. I am assuming it can't be the boy, right? Because it's not a kid-sized pod. So the assumption is it's got to be Daniel, it's got to be Henry, or potentially first mate, or you know, what I'm thinking is is Kieran. Okay. Kieran. I don't know. I keep thinking Kieran or Kieran. Kieran. Great so sleuthing. I don't know what what did you think? No, I did not have the patience nor the eyesight to figure <laughs> out who was who. So I appreciate you breaking that down. I never would have noticed that there was an empty pod other than hers. I assume the empty pod was hers. Mm-hmm. We're missing. I mean, out of the main cast, who are we missing here? Olek. We're missing Olek. You have we're Olek. No, the, Olek was there. Olek was there. Okay. Yes. So we're missing the first mate. Which would play to yours. We're missing Daniel, Henry, and... Yeah, no. I mean, Daniel, Elliot, and Henry are not passengers on the ship. No. I would say that the main character that would have been on the ship that is not here, that was a part of everything else, would be the first mate. But yeah, it's just interesting to yeah to think through because there's there's options out there, but going looking at like what Daniel's role was, what the boy's role, and what Henry is, I I do think Henry's some sort of like more AI kind of thing mm-hmm. because of his kind of calculus that he has that is maybe helping run the simulation. He's the one that's behind the the virus and running through it. But the other thing that's very interesting too, which again you blink and you miss it. As um, Mara is looking out the window and noticing space, you can see behind her ear, she has the same triangle tattoo as she saw on Elliot in like the first or second episode. So is if this is true, and this isn't just another layer of a simulation, the fact that she has the same tattoo that Elliot does makes it seem like, oh, maybe Elliot's a part of the, the passengers on this ship and they are part of this I don't know, reality, but that's Hmm. another mind trip for you there too. Hmm. Okay. Okay. No, I appreciate you doing the legwork on that because it was dark. They didn't have the same (laughs) facial features that makes them distinct during the show. I did struggle to figure out who was who. So thanks for laying that out. I did want to note that when she looks out the window, there are a lot of these same kind of pods that she's Mm -hmm. in. Yep. So, from a like collective memory or reality, does that mean all those other people that were on the ship are also on the spaceship, which plays into the next moment where she 
reads a note that says, may your coffee kick in before your reality does. <laughs> Project Prometheus, survival mission, passengers, mm -hmm. one, four, two, three, crew, five, five, zero. We get the date of October 19th, 2099. And all those passengers and crew, you notice something very quickly because you're a smart man. No, I admittedly did not catch this uh, my first time around. But if you go back to the very first episode when Mara picks up that newspaper and she looks at the clipping that kind of talks about, oh, you know, the passengers of Prometheus lost at sea. You can zoom into that paper and it's got nearly the exact information on it where it says passengers like over 1,400, crew of 550. Um, you can even see if you zoom in on some of these articles, there's even an article that talks about hypnosis, which is kind of cool. Like you had theorized about that concept and idea um, because she's constantly telling them to like wake up, wake up and it could just be a little MacGuffin kind of thing. But just the, the attention to detail that these writers have here is just brilliant and outstanding. And I absolutely loved it. And not to mention they were on the Prometheus. That's what the paper said. That all these people they got lost. This spaceship, when they pan out, what does it say on the side of it? The Prometheus. So the ship, you know, in on the water in space is the same. Boom! Just mind blown. Love it. Now is this tied? I mean, this has got to be tied into the aliens universe because Prometheus <laughs> is the Michael Fassbender film that kicks it all off with Ridley Scott, right? So not going to turn out well for these guests, I guess, <laughs> is what I'm yeah. saying. Maybe some of those other pods are aliens. Yep. But you, I mean, you bring up a good point, and I don't think there's really much to theorycraft on this quite yet because we haven't given much information. But all these other pods, if there's 1,400 other people that are going through these experiments, is is this really not Mara's? If, if she's like the main protagonist creator of this simulation, are there a bunch of different Mara's in all of these pods doing the same simulation over and over again? Are there different groups of people in each one of these? It's interesting to think about, but again, we've got so little to go off of at this point. It's not probably worth tugging on any strings yet. Sure. Well, we skipped over this, but she does get a message typed into the old school computer that says, hello, sister, <laughs> welcome to reality, and it's from Kirian. Mm -hmm. I guess what I would say is we don't know what reality is real. This might be another simulation, which I'm mm -hmm. all on board for. Could you explain that in order to do deep time travel, you have to, like the theory is always you've got to put people to sleep so that they mm -hmm. like sleep for the long journey so that you don't have to feed. You put them in some sort of weird stasis. I don't know. Not a yeah. scientist. I'm a religious guy. You know, <laughs> space isn't real. Whatever. <laughs> the thought being in order to make like a long journey in space, you have to exercise the brain maybe in like a mm. social way. So yeah. these simulations are, we've put them into like a stasis rest, but if we put them alone, they'll go mad when they wake up. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I'm theorizing right now. So yeah. then the idea being if we put them all in some sort of hooked up dream world where they're on a ship, they're like exercising social abilities, they're exercising problem solving whatever it mm -hmm. is when they wake up they're in a better state to survive than if we just put them asleep and they woke up like brendan fraser and encino man you know that's a <laughs> reference everyone will get 
that's where my mind went. But also, I don't know that I believe that even this is reality. It's like too conveniently packaged. But I love it in terms of how (laughs) they ended the show. I think that's super fun. Yeah, I'm with you. That was my exact first thought, too. Like, panning out, they don't seem to be just, you know, orbiting a planet. They seem to be some sort of interstellar travel, and they're in hypersleep, if you will, right? So they have to exercise the mind in some form or fashion. So maybe they used her tech or somebody's tech to be able to do this, and it all went awry. Who knows? It's 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 interesting to ponder, and I'm 100% with you. That was my first inclination. Sure. The other thing that you kind of glanced over, too, is the idea that when the computer screen shows up, which also it's interesting that this computer screen seems like it's not made in 2099, right? Like the it's way It's running off MS-DOS, Tom. It's an <laughs> MS-DOS, like yeah. backslash D semicolon. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. That's yeah, almost makes me think, okay, this is another layer of the simulation because why would that be the interface? But it mentioned specifically on there that this is Project Prometheus, a survival mission. So one thing we've never talked about this entire series, and it certainly is worth bringing up, is all these triangles and pyramids. And the very specific one that we see a lot is the upside down triangle with kind of the line through it. And that's what they use for the episode Chiron or whatever it is, sure. the logo for the show, right? Apparently in like alchemy, that is the symbol for Earth, which is very intriguing, especially now knowing that if this is truly a survival mission, is this the logo of some sort of, okay, we officially finally destroyed the planet and this is the kind of lifeboat that's been shot out into space to try to find a new home. And they took on this symbol as kind of like we joked around, like this is the gift shop logo for the cruise ship company or whatever but maybe sure. this is this is the logo for this earth survival mission it's kind of cool too yeah no i like that idea i mean if this whole show is just a big global warming uh climate <laughs> change warning i don't know how i'm gonna feel about that also they seem to be implying that the earth is round and you know my feelings on round earth stuff so correct yeah i don't know i appreciate yeah. the mystery and it's impossible for a show that's like, listen, this all might just be a simulation to then end the show and be like, not be like, oh, this is a simulation too. <laughs> like you, <laughs> yeah. you've put me on guard show. So I know <laughs> yeah. your games now. But, well, and they know it. Like yeah. right, when you watch the making of and you talk to these these writers, they, they know what they're doing. And when they do certain things or, or make different tweaks, I can't remember, maybe you wrote it down, but they, they talk specifically about that. Like they don't, they're not trying to trick the audience. They're just trying to like play on people's perceptions of what they think is going to happen. And, and the way they manipulate things is, is fun and satisfying in the same way, even if you don't guess it kind of a deal. But I want to do this. So I want to throw just a, some other random theories. And some of these I have nothing to really pull on, but I found them from the internet and thought they'd be kind of cool. So I'll just throw these out there and think, see if there's anything else you want to kind of tug on here. So we talked about this a little bit about all these passengers kind of having the same generalish backstory where they seemingly murdered somebody and they took over their identity. Do you have any thoughts about, like, are these people volunteers? Did they go onto this mission because they were jailed or had no other reason because you think there's still truth in the idea that these people are escaping their past do you have any thoughts on that 
So the thought being that this, if it's a survival mission, it's a mission of very, like a low level of survivability. We're mm-hmm. sending out people with checkered pass that are right. willing to volunteer for a mission that may end in their demise. That yeah. that's kind of the, is that what you're getting at, or is that what you're implying? Yeah, I think so. Just because it's it's odd that these all all these people have that same past and seemingly would have this past if they were convicted murderers uh, sure. or whatever. Um, so I don't know. I think when they all awake, because she's going to like jam a wrench into their stasis pods, like Chris Pratt does in that great movie Passengers, <laughs> which I don't care what the world thought. I enjoyed that movie. <laughs> I think we're going to discover that Ike is the spaceship captain. Mara's the ship doctor. Uh, her nickname is going to be something like, I don't know, Bones. And... <laughs> then they're all going to have their own little jobs on ship. I think this is just going to turn into Star Trek. That's my... No, but I don't know. I see what you're getting at, and I like it. The idea that they're all volunteers, and they're all volunteers with a checkered past, and this was kind of their last-ditch effort to get away from a past. Mm -hmm. Because Henry does make a comment about you can't erase memories. So I don't think these memories are completely made up or these simulations are completely made up. I think there's some sort of thread of truth in them. We get into a problem of like where in history we are. So like these murders that would have happened or these people that would have accidentally killed people, they didn't kill them in the way that, you know, the simulation shows them killing them. Mm -hmm. If that, uh, yeah, well, and like we said, and like the the scarification of certain characters, especially like Crestor, like if his backstory never really happened, did he get shot? Like, what? what is the deal there? And I guess that's what makes me ponder, and more so with the idea of these scars going away and the characters having a different look on the spaceship, is do they even exist? Is it almost too convenient that all of these different characters have a very similar backstory? Sure. Is this a part of Mara's life in some form or fashion and her subconscious that is creating these extra people in her memory and in her simulations, but they're not really all the same like they're just different versions of her her own not psychosis whatever but her brain fire misfiring i guess sure she accidentally killed elliot by injecting him with black licorice and then she's projected all of these other people accidentally murdering people sure (laughs) i'm i'm on board with that 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 makes sense to me i don't think any doctor can make the case for injecting people with black licorice and thinking the outcome's going to be good. doesn't mm-hmm. even taste well. It's probably not going to be good in the bloodstream. No. Well, I mean, there's another one that's, that's there's whole milk and then 2% milk. I think 2% milk is what she needed to take, but Ugh. whole milk is just whole milk messing so it all up. Better. Whole milk's so much better. Um, I kind of talked about this one a little bit, but there's some theory crafting online about this being maybe some sort of elaborate, like Turing test kind of thing about testing uh, artificial intelligence and being able to like the idea with the Turing test is that could a human know that they're talking to an artificial intelligence can mm-hmm. it, like you know carry on conversation or do whatever and I, I thought it was an interesting concept I didn't tug too far onto it I do think there's some ideas clearly going around with computers and codes and you know AI being so prevalent in modern society it wouldn't surprise me if they have some sort of tie-in with that and that's what made me think about Henry being something AI driven but I don't think it's, at least as of now, anything more more than that. I don't have anything on AI. I'm more concerned with 
the characters from a human standpoint and whether or not if this is a simulation on the spaceship are those characters real I would appreciate the show telling me that they are all real and they are all on this mission together or they are all real but this is another simulation I I care less about AI than Mm -hmm. I care about the characters that are on the Prometheus Freightliner and the Prometheus mm-hmm. spacecraft and the Prometheus race car, which I'm assuming, <laughs> or the last one, season four, which they haven't talked about yet, the Prometheus city bus, where all these people are just on a city bus going. They can't go there. under 80 miles per hour, or the they bus can't. <laughs> they can't go under a certain speed, and they have to speed up in order to. What was the name of that movie? Bus people. <laughs> I do want to give a shout out to Barrett, who uh, I think around like episode five, sent us an email, great email, doing some theorization. But he made a comment about colonizing the moon in his email. And um, I don't believe Barrett would cheat and send that email. <laughs> but he was getting space vibes, apparently. I didn't get space vibes until this moment. You, I think, might have gotten space vibes a little bit earlier, but I never got space vibes until the reveal. Yeah, well, again, they had... I, I didn't either. I, not not at all. They just did a one quick flashback shot or whatever with Mara in episode seven um, where they showed mm-hmm. space, and that just stood out like a sore thumb. But otherwise, I was not picking up on any space vibes. So I didn't. Uh, My thumb was fine. Points I, didn't, I didn't feel... Yeah, you gave him 13, I'm giving him a million. Spend them wisely, Barrett. You know what they (laughs) hear about lottery winners, you know? Also, we'd like Kirk Cousins. Please send Kirk Cousins to the Cardinals. That's going to be a reference someone gets. All right, Tom, we've already talked about the finale. We enjoyed it. I'm Mm -hmm. excited for season two. They haven't announced it yet, but they'll do it. These guys have the backing of Netflix. Mm Mm-hmm. I think what's important right now is that we roll into talking about the making of 1899 because I think the way the show is delivered to us had a lot to do with how it was made and some of the technology that they used. And so once again, we're encouraging everyone to, if you haven't, watch the making of 1899 because it's not, not only is it well done as kind of a documentary, but it's super interesting in terms of what they did in order to make this show. If you're about to leave us and not listen to this part, um, <laughs> if you have questions or comments, you can email us at teambingepodcast at gmail.com. Tom loves reading the Apple podcast reviews. So if you <laughs> like us and would like to leave a review, um, there's a series of like three reviews that all relate to each other that are kind of funny at this point. Maybe one day there'll be a fourth. Um, but we do appreciate you listening and joining us. Uh, Tom, what did I miss in terms of hitting those things before this audience jettisons into space? No, they would never leave us. Um, but yeah, again, Twitter and Instagram are kind of our, our primary socials. So Instagram at Team Binge Podcast and then Twitter at Team Binge. Again, been a lot of fun. It's been fun now knowing what we know from season one, diving into Twitter and looking at different theories on Reddit and chasing down rabbit holes. It's been great. Uh, do I give a shout out to Veroni who had reached out to us and was excited for this last episode. So thank you again for, for reaching out and I hope you enjoyed it. And um, yeah, 
thanks. Thanks for, for following this journey, man. And I can't wait for the next next bit. But yeah, let's jump into the making of because it was a super, super cool uh, special. The making of, which is on Netflix. So the making of 1899. I don't know that I knew this just from a timing standpoint, but this was very much a pandemic made show mm-hmm. and opens up with Baron Bo Derek, I believe his name is. Did I get that right? <laughs> Baron Bo Derek. Sure. I'm probably wrong on that. He's wearing a mask. He's getting into a cab. But we find out like the challenges of doing a pandemic show, and they brought in people from all of the countries that are represented in the show mm-hmm. or where those people are from. So oh. it's interesting because he talks about like the challenges of directing a cast with a language barrier. Mm-hmm. Because these people are from where they're supposed to be in the show, and I thought that was I thought that was super interesting, mm-hmm. just from like a challenge perspective and a directing perspective. And they're both Jante Fries and Baron Bo Odar. I assumed they were German, but they may not be. They may be. I would assume. Yeah, I, I haven't looked this up either. My assumption would be German. Like if they did an entire like their main series they were known for in Dark was hundred percent German. That would be my inclination sure and a quick google is that he was born in switzerland so (laughs) but the internet has him as a german film director so now i'm just confused as to what but he's but we we talked about this in the very beginning of doing the show like i made the mistake of watching the first episode the pilot the first time with dubs and it was nowhere near the same experience as watching the show with the subtitles and them and experiencing yeah. the different languages yep. and seeing those barriers i think it's interesting now to think back okay now knowing this is all a simulation are some of those language barriers do we give them a little bit of a break because it is all a simulation so at a certain point it's all just code and numbers anyways so they can probably still understand themselves if that was kind of unique but again just the way that does this making of and the director having conversations with some of these actors that didn't speak the language was fascinating sure it was very fascinating and then the other part of this is just the set they used in order to yeah run the thing i guess it's called the volume and Mm -hmm. it is this cylindrical room of billions probably not the right amount, of LED lights. And so they could rotate the stage in the center and then change the backdrop. Mm -hmm. And so the times where someone is moving from like simulation to simulation, it's like changing the channel on a TV. Mm. Like that's what they were doing. And and they show a scene or they show a part of the documentary where they take drones and they fly them through different countries in order to pick up the different scenery. And then they put that in this cylindrical wall of led lights. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like a stage play where like a stage play would have a backdrop, but rather than it being felt slapped on curtains, Mm -hmm. uh, it is (laughs) a much more high tech, realistic wall. It's like a green screen almost, but, you can see what's behind you as opposed to, and I well, thought that was the, fascinating because I don't yeah. feel like, I feel like there are times you watch a show that's very green screeny and you just know, like you can, like there's something about a green screen mm-hmm. at a certain point where you know it's green screen. Yeah. I didn't feel like, when I saw this in the making of, I was like, oh, that's crazy how they did that. And that's, yeah. I don't know. 
I had seen this technology before, I think, in a making of of some of the Marvel stuff, because I think okay. they've used this before. I think it was specifically the Thor Love and Thunder, that most recent one. Okay. But man, is it just incredible tech. And I think the backgrounds are even tied to the camera. So as like the cameras move, the backgrounds will move ever so slightly. So it still gives realism and depth. But I think the biggest thing, and the actors mentioned it as they talk to them, is it gives actors something to act on, right? If sure. you're just in front of a green screen delivering these lines and, and everything, you're you're not immersed in these worlds that doing shots on, on location and stuff would be. And even these, these two writers and showrunners were mentioning, I think they did not want to do this initially. They wanted to go to all these different places and film where they wanted to film and make big sets and everything else. And so they started doing some screen testing on can we make this work? And I think they were blown away. Um, and it's just fascinating to think about all the different people that come together to make a series like this. Sure. Like you take it all for granted, but all the different people from the designers and I mean, it's just, it's bananas how incredibly in depth some of these productions can, can be. Right. And then they showed the people that like develop the sets virtually. So mm-hmm. it's like the dining room of the ship where the tables <laughs> would be laid out. And someone's using almost like a 3D CAD program to mm-hmm. like put all the tables. I I thought it was, I, I don't know. I thought it was fascinating. And I thought it was fascinating just because at no point when I was watching the show, did it look like CGI'd. And so... Mm-hmm. To watch the the making of, I thought was great. I think it was funny. There was a couple of times the different actors were like, "Yeah, we got kind of seasick just being on this <laughs> like rotating stage with the waves on the." And I was like, "Oh, that's fascinating." It's kind of like when you go to Six Flags or one of those, and you get on the roller coaster where you're just in the cart, but it's just a bunch of screens and yeah. just that weird motion in the screens. Uh, those are the ones that typically it's not the roller coaster that's thrown me into four loops that makes me sick it's the one where i'm sitting in a cart being thrown in front of these uh, 3d screens that really makes me want to lose my lunch the other part that i thought and i don't know if you caught this one the guy that did the sound design and this show is very much like the sound design plays a huge part Mm-hmm. Even from dark, like the warbling, eerie, all those sounds. The guy that did the sound design for this, he like went to ships, got in the <laughs> halls of the ships, like dropped things, banged around, played and recorded in there. And that like hollow, eerie sound of like an empty ship. I don't know. I thought it was fascinating the way that that guy created that. And then the way they used the sound in the, uh, the show itself was great. Yeah. I think the guy's name is Ben Frost. I I mean, I have to imagine, I didn't look this up uh, that he did dark, right? Because all these dark tones and ominous music is so similar vibe to what we saw in dark, but yeah, super cool to watch a creative person like that go through their process. Cause they, again, could have very easily just sat in a, a room and, watch the TV screen and try to like bang on a pot to make some of these noises. But the guy went and he was like, at one point he literally goes into a small hole that he oh, had yeah. to like squeeze through just to, be like, able to nope. get in deeper. No, <laughs> yeah. thank you. Incredible, incredible work. And I'll even say, I think even the logo we use for our podcast was uh, inspired from the soundtrack from 1899. So Ben Frost, you're an incredible artist, my friend. The last thing we'll talk about and what we'll leave you with, and this is a question for you, Tom, is during these interviews, the actors are all like 
listen, I went up to the director and I asked him some questions about my character <laughs> and I tried to figure out some things of the future. And the director was like, I don't know. We haven't written that part. We like, <laughs> we don't know what your character's going to do. We don't. And so for the actors, it kind of added, I think, to their acting because they were confused by what the future held. They didn't know mm-hmm. what was happening. So yeah. I think that can kind of inform how they treated a scene. The thing I would ask you is, does it make you nervous that these guys were kind of creating this show and the storyline on the fly? I know that we're going to have three seasons, or at least that's what they would plan out. But when you mm-hmm. listen to the actors being like, listen, they were telling me they don't know like kind of where <laughs> my character would go or what would happen. Does that make you nervous or, at all or give you I any don't, pause? I don't know if I got that vibe. I thought it was oh, more really? like okay. the showrunners just didn't tell them like they've got an idea of where they're Mm. going they don't know every piece of the puzzle but they know the big pieces and they know the edges right they know the corner pieces of the puzzle but they don't want to give it to the actors kind of quite yet and it could be one of those things too where they're just like superstitious like we haven't got a contract that says we're getting season two yet i'm not going to start telling you all these like high you know aspirational ideas of what we're going to do until we know it's going to be a thing okay okay i have faith in them yeah. They're the dark guys. They did a great job with dark. I really enjoyed this season. I enjoy a show that's well done and confusing, but not confusing in the sense of, wait, why? Mm-hmm. I didn't find myself questioning like that doesn't make any sense that like it doesn't make sense, but it makes sense within <laughs> the rules of the show. And so mm-hmm. I enjoy this immensely. I'm glad we did it. I can't wait for season two. They'll get renewed. They'll get picked up. This is a guarantee from Uh-oh. Julian that they Netflix will get picked up. Netflix has been known to make like silly moves about not picking things up. I tend to agree with you. I think there's a 99% chance this thing does get picked up. It sounds like it definitely has a, a big following. And I don't think Netflix would rehire these same guys to do the story if not knowing that they're going to give them that. Sure. That, running room to be able to finish their their work but i do want to personally thank you for selecting the show i know once we finished the rings of power we had a sour taste in our mouth and we weren't sure exactly what our new show was going to be uh we had talked about this i think offhanded conversations but you made the decision to watch this and 100 percent on board and loved every minute of it can't wait for the next one i appreciate you being the captain of my freight (laughs) liner across the atlantic ocean where we don't get anywhere and we end up scuttled with a bunch of other ships in the middle of a simulation. It's a good allegory they, for our relationship. That's yes. There <laughs> no more truth has ever been spoken. I appreciate you, my friend. Thanks for taking this journey. We don't know what's next for us. We'll come up with something. If you have suggestions or questions or something you'd like us to uh, look at a show you think that might work for our unique sense of style is that is that the right word is bold the right word tom sure absolutely you can reach us at team binge podcast at gmail.com once again can't say enough thank you for listening and enjoying two dumb idiots talk to each other (laughs) tom you're not a dumb idiot i'm the dumb idiot you're great um i have been julian And I have been Tom. Thanks again, everybody. See you next season.